Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chai Pod. We are concluding our discussion with Sheikh Abdullah Adami, founder and director of Sakina.org. On this episode six of the Chai Pod, Women, Islam, and Controversy. I'm your host, Brother Dash, and welcome to the Chai Pod. The last question you had was about the. Um, was it was about the hitting? Yes, was about the hitting. Now, remarkably, again, this is ultimately a question of navigating the power equation, navigating the order within society and in the domestic sphere, particularly. The I really believe because we have not, because we have not been comprehensive and inclusive in, and holistic, if you will, in our, uh, in our responses to, to, the question, to the verse of, of the hitting, we render our responses more apologetic than actually juridical. And I firmly believe mm-hmm. that. If the Quran seems to be making a statement that there might be circumstances where quote unquote likely beating <laughs> might be a viable solution to keeping the home intact. The jurist is not the person who is the ultimate authority on answering and engaging this possibility. The anthropologist the psychologist, the sociologist, the family counselor, those are the people. Because think of the psychology of what happens when... Uh, now, before, before that, just, just for a moment, let's take the exegetical dimension. I know ev- so many Muslims have asked me this in, in the past, um, actually, uh, recent, uh, relatively recently, mm-hmm. raving about a new translation called the Sublime Quran. Yes. <laughs> And that the author has remarkably allowed the word to revert to its original meaning. And the author contends that this is what the prophet of God did, peace be upon him and his blessed family. She contends that Baba means to go away. Now you're forgetting one thing. It's an entertaining translation but it is utterly incorrect. With all due appreciation for the author's efforts, it is incorrect. The verse said, if, you know, the the progression and you go through the steps and all that stuff, and hopefully the the audience is familiar with with, with the, the, the steps, but ultimately it said, and if they don't, then... Uh, so and strike them so you're stuck there because the object that is to receive the act of the verb is the female plural mm-hmm. and so that's why it is syntactically morphologically and grammatically untenable to say to go away so, because to, uh, to leave a person is, then the verse would, would have been, uh, 
Safhan, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, leave them alone. And this is a Quranic usage to strike the. Um, it literally means to allow the side of your cheek to strike the person. You're really not hitting the person with the side of your cheek. When you're turning away, it's as if your cheek is striking the person. That's how you turn, that's how you express turning away from a person in Arabic. But the verse is not wadribu anhunna. The verse is wadribu hunna. It is not give them the side of your cheek and walk away. It is not daraba fil ard as she said that it's a notion of travel mm-hmm. because daraba fil ard to hit the earth you know or in 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 our colloquial parlance we say hit the pavement or <laughs> hit the road <laughs> right. you know there's no hitting the road the road is not the object of the verb the object receiving the verb is the plural feminine and that's why we are stuck. Mm-hmm. My contention, and I affirm that this is the strongest translation of the, ver- of, of the verb yet to be affirmed, is the notion of doing something dramatic to move someone away from their demise or from the demise of the family. You know, doing So this in Arabic is would be literally فَضْرِبُوا عَلَيْهِنَّ or فَضْرِبُوا عَلَىٰ أَيْدِيهِنَّ where the verb remains focused or the, uh, the, um, the object of the verb remains the female plural. To strike someone's hand is an Arabic figurative expression to affirm that you are moving a person away from demise. So, Wallahu alam, Allah knows best, the Lord of the Worlds knows best His divine intent because the verb is in the Arabic, it's in the Quran. You cannot say, this isnad is questionable, this is a multivarious, multi-shaded. It's right there, it said, and if they don't, then hit them. Or, what I am affirming, then do something to that may require the use of your hand, but in a way that moves them away from demise. So I'll be very specific. Suppose that there's an argument and, and there's there's something extremely serious, and if the um, if if the man is trying to maintain the home because he's the qawam, right? Let's say that the man grabs the wife and asks her what she's doing when like what are you doing Mm -hmm. where are you taking us because remember folks the beginning of the verse is righteous women are maintainers of the unseen are obedient to their lord and they are guardians of the unseen those women, the verse goes on to, con- the, the, the same verse goes on to inform. Those women whom you fear, 
their arrogance, their anarchy, again, to use uh, political discourse, because it really is what it's about. This is not the wife being late uh, for dinner, the, the wife messing up the food, the wife, you know, whatever cultural expectations, I'm not addressing that. I'm not here to pass judgment. Whatever the cultural expectations, man, more power to you and your culture. We don't care about that right now. We are saying the Quran came to navigate and make this interaction more synergistic, more dynamic, and for God's sake, more humane if you love Islam and the Prophet. If you love God and the Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, you will endeavor and in, impress upon yourselves to make your interactions more humane. So I'm not passing judgment on what's expected in your culture. That's not the point here. Islam wants you to be aware. The Quranic verse is saying the men are maintainers. The men, you know, step up, be upright, stand up for your family, be a pillar. And righteous women are to be maintainers and guardians of the unseen. They are to continue and further and anchor the uprightness of the man and hold him up to the highest standard so that society flourishes and grows collectively. The verse then shifts and says, Those women whom you are certain of their anarchy, of their arrogance, of their... Um, and that's really the ultimate difference in the translation. If you look, almost all translations that I have seen will say, Fear. And those women whose transgression or arrogance or tyranny, and that's how you have to translate it. It's not some minor nonsense here. Those whom you are certain of their tyranny, of their oppression, not probably, not potentiality, not probability or potentiality or possibility. Definitely, you are certain women will, and you shouldn't translate it as if they, you, you, you are certain that they will rise up on you, so to speak. It's serious arrogance and tyranny and oppression that includes the withholding of sexual favors and, and what have you. This is a, a woman who, um, who is essentially threatening the cosmic order for the home that both of them are responsible for upholding. Mm. Yes, we are not embarrassed to affirm in Islam and in Judeo-Christian tradition, in Confucianism, in the Zend Avesta, in, the, in every tradition in the world, Men are the maintainers and the guardians. It is an honor. It is a privilege. It is a position of service. It is something we must earn. Yes, all of that is true. But this is part of the cosmic order that exists in the world. So, when we establish this, the Quran said, those women whom you are certain will transgress, will be uh, tyrannical, will, will challenge the order of the home that you are both responsible for, admonish them, talk to them, as long as it's necessary. If they don't acquiesce, if they don't come back to the sense of balance that you're both responsible for, then abandon them in their own bed. Not abandon their bed and sleep on the couch. That may be what the wife wants to begin with. If she's the anarchistic, seditious type that wants to break up the family, fine, take the couch, take the park, take everything. But get out of here. The Quranic remedy, listen very carefully, and abandon them inside 
the bed في المضاجع وهجروهن في المضاجع in the bed so the proper translation is to turn your back to your wife in the same bed deliberately don't ever abandon the bed the sanctity of that marital bed is beyond being being touched by anything if they still don't acquiesce or come around then I contend that the translation must be do whatever is within your power to strike their hand away from the fire to to hold that to pull them back to do something dramatic that requires some physical thing that the lightly beating situation is really a cultural manifestation of how women were treated across history we have horrendous records of domestic violence in the United States I promise you the uh, American men are not following the lightly beating mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, stipulation in the Quran if they were Muslim you know the savagery the criminality that kind of savage brutality that ends up in, in, in fatality God forbid that kind of stuff is punishable by law if you kill your wife God forbid in Islam you die you know, corporal punishment, just as in the Judeo-Christian tradition, if we're talking about purely religious uh, scripture and what it says, and, and what the, the prophet, peace be upon him, stipulated, if you injure your wife and, and there's blood and that you can be fined, you could be jailed by the state, those things are very different from the lightly beating situation because it was inconceivable for an Arab pre-Islam to not hit a woman. And it was inconceivable for a woman to not be straightened up by her husband. It was a sign, and this is the same in, in African anthropology, in Hindu anthropology. It is stunning. Even Far Eastern anthropology, in Korean culture, in Chinese culture, in Japanese culture, being struck, quote unquote, struck by the husband was taken as a sign of protectiveness and dominion and care and if God help you, if your husband didn't hit you girl, maybe he didn't love you that much. And so this is something that, perm this is serious, a serious anthropological reality that we cannot ignore. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's valid. Right. On Saudi women, it wasn't valid for them. The women of the Prophet's mm -hmm. time, peace be upon him, in Medina utterly refused this travesty. No, we don't want to be hit to show us you love us and you <laughs> care about us and you're spreading your silly dominion over us. We don't want that. We want a different way. So, within Medinan society, you have this powerful clash of cultural norms and expectations. And God bless them, our grandmothers, the believing women, companions of the, the Ansar, I promise you are more radical than any modern feminist today in the way they demanded to be fulfilled sexually, the way they demanded to express themselves as a feminine Muslim, in the way that they asserted their rights, in the way that they talked to the Prophet, peace be upon him, it's stunning. That, that would make a nice little dissertation for somebody <laughs> if they're interested. But totally different radical feminism from what we know today because the political dynamic is different, the drive, the, the impetus behind it is different. But the Muslims need to be more empathetic, 
more compassionate, more reflective, more holistic in their analysis, so that they realize the aberrations. You know, it doesn't make it, you know, stuff for lie. It doesn't make it, it doesn't make me feel any better. God forbid if I am an abused woman. It doesn't make me feel better if you tell me, well, everybody else stinks too, sister. It's an anthropological reality <laughs> throughout the history of the stupid human race, you know? It doesn't help people. But we need to begin, as, as you wisely asked, how do you begin to address? You didn't say, what's the answer to these questions? Which is, which is really ultimately what you have to do. You have to begin to address. And this is how you begin to address them, by laying everything out on the table and uh, realizing that there are uh, cultural and societal realities that are incredibly difficult to challenge. And herein, a very good example is the prayer in the closet thing that you brought up too. Mm-hmm. When one of the female companions of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, came and complained that her husband prevented her from allowing her to come to the mosque. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, I know that you love to pray with me, but for you, your prayer in your own home is better. Your prayer in private. Now what I find fascinating and what I think is definitely remains to be cited in the commentaries on Hadith, how come Abu Humaid, you know, Um Humaid is the woman who came, how come Abu Humaid is not brought in and, and, and slapped around, you know, because the Prophet affirmedly uh, said, um, affirmed to the men, do not prevent the women from the houses of God. Do not prevent the female slaves of God from the houses of God. So what's up with Abu Humaid? He doesn't want his wife to go to the mosque and he prevents her and the Prophet does not bring him in and say, you know, you need a serious education in how to treat your wife. By telling Um Humaid, you know, more power to you, sister, you you need to take care of yourself. You love this man? Yes. If you love this man, you must realize that in a lot of ways, he's like a child. He must be nurtured. He must be mothered. He must be cared for in a way that keeps him from that, that, that brings out the best in him any tiny little thing you do is going to be seen as a challenge to his authority as a challenge to his manhood not because there's anything wrong with you but because he is embarrassingly insecure as a man that's ultimately what that hadith is about, but it's not in any of the commentaries. That's why I'm writing it. Because I think that it's tremendously empowering and enlightening to look at the hadith. And it's very clear, and I make parallels. It's not a biased position or anything sure. like that. I'll give you ten other narratives, ten other parallels that prove the hadith of Um Hamid is a unique prescription. Take care of yourself. Hide when you pray. Don't let him see you when he, when you pray. Just be as exclusive as you can because you have to take care of your heart. You have to refuel. Hide if you have to when you pray so that he can't find you, so that he, he can't call you because he needs you possibly more than a child needs his mother. Mm. 
And so the prophet's vision, peace be upon him, was to recognize, please folks, who has the upper hand in this power equation? Who's the pitiful one, Um Hamid or Abu Hamid? Of course, it's very clear. It's a rhetorical question. Of course. You know, this commandment. You love him? Yes. Okay, if you love him, then you will invest. If you don't, it's a whole other question. And so I, I think that this is how we begin. Do you think we, we've addressed the, the hitting verse adequately? Did, Absolutely. Did we, Absolutely. Okay, I, I think we have. I'm just trying to see if, if we missed anything. And, the, and again, this is the beginning of a response. Absolutely. So that we're not apologizing for uh, tradition. And, and also, incidentally, the reason that I mentioned cross-culture and inter-religious dialogue this is very important because, for example, the rabbinical commentary on the Old Testament has a very fascinating remedy that uh, if, if your wife, uh, there's something better than chastising her with thorns, which means that that was one of the remedies. Mm. So we don't have chastising, chastising by, by thorns, but rabbinical wisdom introduced something very interesting that some of the juridical traditions, some of the, some people in the juridical tradition in Islam borrowed from rabbinical wisdom. They said that having another wife is more painful and more effective as a realm of discipline. Than, chast than chastising with thorns. Yeah. And so, the fascinating thing here that permeates rabbinical wisdom and went all the way down to the Islamic jurist, to the Muslim jurists, and incidentally, when I learned this way back when, I was shocked that, these, that, that, that our teachers did not know where this came from. And we were taught in classical tradition, one of the reasons for polygamy is to discipline and oppress the ego of the first wife if she transgresses. <laughs> if she is tyrannical, don't divorce her, don't hit her, get her a second wife. To spite her, mm. to literally ask stuff for lie, I heard this with my own ears, to put her nose in the dirt. That's how you, that's how, it's again, it's all about control, folks. It's all about power and, but this is rabbinical wisdom. This is what the, the rabbis commenting on the Old Testament about the prerogative of the man to discipline the family in the Old Testament, in the rabbinical commentaries, in, in the Mishnah, in the Talmud, and, and so forth. You have this as a remedy, which is shocking. Uh, if you look at it this because there's nothing in the Quran about chastising with thorns. There's nothing in the Quran about put your you know, put her nose in the dirt and get another wife. That's not the reason for polygamy in Islam. It's a whole other discussion. Matthew, you didn't ask you. That's a that's a whole other thing. We'll but, do another show yeah, on we'll do, we'll do another show on polygamy. I, I I think we should, really. But um that's that's not really um, that's not really uh, the, the the issue here is to be cognizant of this legal evolution and um, and remember when we say rabbinical commentary this is not something that is revealed tradition this is again as right. anyone attests 
this is the quote unquote ijtihad this is the <laughs> this is the exertion of legal uh, opinion upon uh, text uh, that was that that was um, uh, that was originally uh, sacred and, and revealed mm -hmm. and evolved and changed so really to not to not also apologize in, in any way there's no comparison between saying Quranic exegesis is not the same as exegesis in other traditions sure and uh, and this is something that their scholars affirm um, and um, and we're not transgressing by saying it's not the same thing but nevertheless that which survived the alteration and the uh, uh, emendation and, and, and the variant readings and, and, and critical additions of the Old and New Testaments, whatever survived, unfortunately and incomprehensibly, some of our masters just said, found that it agreed with their cultural baggage mm -hmm. and just mindlessly and thoughtlessly adopted it. Well, that takes us to the end of our program. Well, I didn't want that to be the last thought, my God, you know, uh, <laughs> mindlessly and thoughtlessly. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe, maybe it wakes up people. Maybe it, it, it motivates people to do something positive. I would like to thank Sheikh Abdullah Adami for lending his support to the Chai Pod this season, please visit Sakina, www.sakina.org, where Sheikh Abdullah Adami is the founder and director of this wonderful organization. And I'd also like to thank you all for your support to the Chai Pod, this being our first season. Please visit us at www.thechaipod.com, and we hope to be back again next season. Take care and God bless.